We are back. We are back. This is the Council Connection. I'm your host, Fabian Bixon. On this episode, we are going to continue our episodes, talk about Council Keys, Evaluation 2, Steps 5 and 6. Also on this podcast, I have a um, very great interview with Renee Lopez, uh, author of best-selling book, Looking for a Full Ride, and Insider Recruiting Guide. So anybody that has students that are looking at getting a scholarship, either division one two three or nai this is a great read and she's going to come on and talk about some various things like misconceptions her social media page as far as um with how she aids parents and some other questions i had about recruiting of course we have my housekeeping items and my final thoughts this is the part of the show i say let's go Continue our series on the Council of Keys and make sure we get the highest points available on your evaluation. We are looking at standards five and six. Both these standards deal with data. Standard five deals with the data collection, which is part of the accountability and the management system. Of course, ASCA's national models change, so the terminology is different from what's on here because it's based on the third edition. And standard six is the evaluation, which is the same system, which is part of. Um, we'll start with standard five data collection. The professional school counselor uses a variety of sources to review and analyze student and school data in order to plan appropriate counseling curriculum interventions and programs. So basically, what are you doing and what are you using to make sure that your program is effective? So has been effective and improved. So doing a needs assessment, pre post test data, attendance data, data, behavior data and achievement data, which would be our uh, summative assessments like if our Georgia be milestones, um, another summative be, you know, map testing on universal screens. You can use that far as placement into different classes, as far as uh, high achieving classes or gifted classes, or even uh, remediation classes like Read 180, System 44, Math 180. That, that's the basic level to get to a level three, which would be of course, the school counselor systematically and consistently uses a variety of sources to review and analyze student school data in order to plan appropriate counseling curriculum and interventions and programs. That's a level three. Now, if you want to get a level four, you need to align it to your with your intervention with school data, which means your continuous school improvement plan. Show the expertise as far as leadership analysis of student and school data and discerns when students and schools need to go beyond the scope of your CSCP and collaborate with other stakeholders to influence school-wide change, which means you need to go beyond the counseling office and work with a graduation coach, your special ed lead, gifted teachers, administrators, um, your feeder schools, basically doing everything you're already doing now and just bringing other stakeholders to collaborate with. That's how you would get a level four on this. 
and of course level four is the school council continues continually demonstrates expertise and leadership in the utilization of student school data in order to facilitate school-wide change via collaboration with other stakeholders so collaborate work with other people you can't be by yourself in the council office you can't there's nothing wrong with getting input from folks with data because you should have all the data you need to share it just a second now data evaluation a little bit different of course that one is the professional school counselor evaluates the effectiveness of the counseling curriculum interventions and programs in order to assess and further develop the future school counseling program basically what this standard is saying is what you're doing with that data to make sure that you're more effective in your role so to get a level three you want to measure and process perception outcome data that will be used to guide the comprehensive programs basically means basically means how many kids are seen how has it affected them and what can you do to make it better especially with core curriculum and small groups evaluate the processes process perception outcome data to determine the effectiveness of your program use that same data in further developing future curriculum like a results report so how did this work this year is this trending for next year uh, for example for my school where we're at every student said they wanted to work on time management after we did a needs assessment so we worked on a lesson for myself i created a lesson for time management use pre-test and post-test data and it made students hopefully it pulled grades may have students improve their grades um we had students that we're failing three or more classes like the previous year at 159 i believe i think we got that down to 78. so it didn't it wasn't a big i think it was 138 i can't remember what the data was but we had like a that's a small decrease but it was a decrease which is all that matters now if you want to get a level four on a data evaluation of course use data to demonstrate the value of the council program by sharing results with stakeholders advisory council leads others at the local district or state or national level in effective use of data present at your conference use data effectively to create systemic change in policy practice and procedure to promote student performance track your time so basically what you need to do is make sure that everything that you do is for the students show what you have improved on or where you need help and growth in order to improving your student student success so those are the two standards that we are working on as far as making sure that you get a level three or four on your council keys next time we're going to talk about standard 7a which is positive learning environment and college and career readiness of environment so those two standards are going to be the next ones we're going to discuss we'll be right back with my interview with renee lopez right after this Welcome to the Council Financial. I'm your host, Fabian Vix, and I have a very special guest. We'll be have Renee Lopez. If you heard of the book, looking for a full ride, here is the copy right here. Look for a full ride. Uh, it's a great read for students, coaches, parents, counselors, administrators to help scholars maximize their opportunity to receive scholarships from school. Uh, Renee Lopez is here with me. Renee, how are you doing today? Fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast today. That's no problem. I'm very, I'm very excited. We finally got our schedules to work out and be able to uh, collaborate and just discuss, discuss your book, your, um, your social media pages, and your your love for this opportunity to help scholars and students become the best athlete and receive the uh, maximum offers they can. So uh, I'm going to let you have the table and just discuss your your background and what led you to this. 
Absolutely. Well, I was a college coach for 14 years. I was a D1 head coach, D2 head coach, and NAI head coach. So I have a, a pretty different perspective when it comes into working with student athletes because I also was a high school varsity head coach for three years. So I kind of know what the high school world looks like. Plus, I was a director of coaching for a traveling club team. And what I took out of all of those uh, opportunities and roles was to really combine my knowledge and really combine the knowledge of many other experts out there to really present to student athletes and their families and school counselors and everyone else who's in touch with them, coaches, administrators, and the idea of really understanding what are the right steps to be taking to go chase those opportunities to play at the next level, as well as the financial side of it. Many people are looking for the athletic scholarships. And I felt like for so many years, um, I was actually just sitting around talking with my, my coaching buddies. And, and for so many years, we kept talking about the idea of, oh, somebody needs to really write a book on this. And that's what landed it to, for me. Um, we actually had joked about it for many years. And you know, the idea was I wanted to really help bridge that gap. Um, having been in the high school role, having been in the uh, director of coaching for the club, but I also served for two years as an NCAA compliance director. And so what I really found was not only did student athletes and parents not always know what steps to be taking, but nobody was educating them on those right steps and nobody was taking that initiative to do it. So we've tried to be a bridge in that to help uh, families understand what college coaches are looking for in recruits, but also what they're, um, the steps they need to be taking behind the scenes that oftentimes isn't taking place, or maybe um, it, the school counselors may not know what steps to, to be able to, to take and support those student athletes. And so I just want to really be able to resource everyone and really to educate them and equip them with the right information and the right tools. So that way we can empower them to take the right steps. Now that brings a great question. You say you're a compliance director. Um, what are some <laughs> what are some misconceptions that students and parents and possibly some coaches, high school coaches, have about the the recruiting process? You know, so often everyone sees things in the media like a movie like The Blind Side. You know, I love that movie. It was a great movie. You know, it was such a fun story to hear. But everyone sees that and what they see in that scenario is that all these college coaches just came knocking on his door just because he was talented. And I think that's the biggest misconception people have out there is if I'm talented, college coaches will find me. And really that's not how the process goes for about 95% of the students who go on to play in college. They're the ones that should be initiating the, the contact with college coaches, letting those coaches know I'm interested. Hey, here's some film of me. Hey, come and watch me at this next uh, tournament that I'm playing in. But also the idea that they have um, taken the initiative to showcase that they're interested in the college and personalizing their emails to college coaches, not just a blanket email and that, Coaches can help support that role. And then also really, really essential is, especially from the NCAA compliance side, is that school counselors need to know and understand what the NCAA requires in terms of core course requirements for student athletes. Many school counselors come into a role at a high school and have never been trained about what the NCAA expects of core courses. And so there's really this misconception out there that high school graduation automatically means that I'm eligible to play in college and it's not always you know i had a story of a student athlete that i worked with who was a 30 act 
4.0 and AP honors that type of kid, top 10% of her class. And we find out in May of her senior year that she had not taken one of the NCAA required core courses. And the reality is nobody checked. Nobody thought to even look and say, oh, does she have all the requirements to be eligible for the NCAA, not just applying to the college and not just for graduation. And so, you know, those are two misconceptions. One being that student athletes just sit back and college girls are just going to show up at their door. And two, that automatically people think that high school graduation equals being eligible and it doesn't always uh, equal that. We have to make sure we're investigating that. And I always recommend that definitely by the time they're sophomore or junior, so that way we can remedy any issues in terms of the courses and the pathway. Um, you know, for example, that situation was she was a high level uh, academic student. And so she had skipped over a math course that was a really low level course. And she was taking an independent study her senior year. And it makes sense because of what career she wanted to go on in terms of that pathway. But uh, no one had checked it from the eligibility side. And that's really, really important and essential for us to be having. And, you know, also being able to educate families on that part of the process, because oftentimes, you know, the, the parents are looking at the school counselors thinking they should be the ones directing this. And the school counselors may not even have been exposed to this information, especially if they weren't a division one or division two uh, college athlete themselves. And so, you know, it's important and essential, I think, for us to all make sure we're, we're playing as a team to empower these student athletes to take that next step and hopefully be successful at the next level. Um, I got one more follow up before we move on with, uh, with, the, with the division one, two, NAIA. What are the subtle differences with the clearinghouse with those, with those divisions? Well, it is called the NCAA Eligibility Center for, and then there is the NAI Eligibility Center. The NAI has their own requirements and you would actually register with them. It is completely separate from the NCAA. For those who don't know, NAI colleges can offer athletic scholarships and also academic scholarships and financial aid as well. They're typically four-year universities, typically smaller in size, but um, they, they are just a completely different governing body than the NCAA. And the NCAA Division I and Division II also have requirements for the eligibility center in terms of their core courses GPA. Currently, as we sit here today, the NCAA has waived test scores for the 2023 recruiting class. However, we are going to be waiting to hear what the final decisions are going to be made for the 2024 class, hopefully probably in the next five, six months, and figuring out what those next steps are. But if any student athlete is interested in playing at that next level, they need to go on and register for the NCAA Eligibility Center. I always recommend starting with the free undecided D3, even though you may think you want D1 or D2, go on there, start with the free portion just to get an ID number. You get your ID number completely for free, and that's where you can kind of start the process. And then as you go along the process, if you are kind of really pursuing the division one, division two, and coaches are really pursuing you, now would be the time for you to upgrade your account to pay, I believe it's close to $110 now and to be a certification account. So you can start out initially, just get that ID number so you can give that to college coaches with the undecided 
for the NCAA. And then as you kind of go along the process, you can get the certification account, especially if you start to go on official visits and, and really start to get really serious in conversations with Division I, Division II schools. But the Eligibility Center is essential. They are the place that clears you to be eligible. It is not the actual college that you're attending clears you to being eligible. You obviously need to be accepted into that university, but it is not how you are cleared in terms of the NCAA. It is actually through the Eligibility Center or with the NAI through their Eligibility Center. Gotcha. Now, now we were talking about misconceptions. Some kids think when they think full ride, they think oh, I was four years, I'm good. I'm covered for four years. And I tell my students, I'm a middle school counselor and I, I'm they were eighth grade or seventh grade. I tell them, when you go to high school, you get ready for college. It's not always a four year scholarship. It's a four by one, which means year by year. Uh, I gave him an example, John Calipari. He recruits freshmen every year because he know he wants to move them out and go to, go to the pros. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain to me why why some schools are majority of schools actually are four by one versus a four by four? So uh, the reality is the majority of scholarships are one year renewable scholarships. That's the terms we would use. And so the idea is that they are taking a chance on a 17, 18 year old and some 17, 18 year olds make really great decisions when they go off to college. And then there are 17, 18 year olds who also don't make very good decisions. And what we're looking for is from a college coach's perspective is that you're committing to your academics and committing to going to class, committing to doing well in the classroom. And so you, know, you can continue to be eligible, especially if you're on an athletic scholarship, they're investing in you you need to do your part. And that means in terms of your work ethic, that means in terms of um, your academics, that means also not making bad choices off the field or off the court. And so the majority of colleges only offer one year renewable scholarships. And those are typically renewed when you do all the things a coach asks of you, meaning you are going to class, getting good grades, doing the right things when it comes to off the field, but also um, in terms of just being, you know, in terms of your behavior as well as your work ethic. So the reality is majority of kids, their scholarships are renewed if they do all the right things. But the fact is there are some that are out there, especially in the power five who are guaranteed four years. However, I think it's really, really important for people to know and understand that is not typical. Most of the time, also knowing and understanding that you are either a headcount sport or an equivalency sport in terms of how much scholarship that could be allotted to you. If you are in an equivalency sport, it's possible they could increase those scholarships, but they could also remove those scholarships if you're not doing what you're supposed to. And that does apply as well to headcount sports. But, you know, I think it's important to know and understand how uh, a headcount sport such as football and basketball works is a little bit different than how it works in some of these equivalency sports such as soccer, you know, or uh, softball or baseball. And so, you know, we go in depth into that in looking for a full ride. We talk through all of these important aspects and understanding the overall picture of scholarships and understanding that you know, outside of the, a lot of the headcount sports, most kids are not on full rides. They're actually on stacking in terms of academic scholarships plus athletic scholarships. And then obviously if they qualify for aid through the FAFSA, that will obviously play into the, the package as well. But I think it's essential for families to know and understand 
that majority of kids are not on full athletic scholarships. I think it's a very big misconception that's also out there. And the majority of kids are not on four-year guaranteed scholarships. They are renewable and you need to make sure you're making good decisions during that freshman year, especially in your first time of first year of independence as an 18, 19 year old. Now, one thing, one crazy revelation, I did not notice for signing day, signing days, there are different signing periods, of course. Uh, before you even get to signing day, when you sign and, and letter attend one, coaches not allowed to be there. I kind of figured that one, I thought it was because of schedule, no, it's compliance with the NCAA. Mm -hmm. They have to actually have their sign, be accepted to the school and have their signed financial aid packet completed. So basically the kids already need to know where they're going before they submit their letter of intent. Am I correct on that? So a a, there are two different types. A, the NCAA has a national letter of intent. We call that the NLI. And then the, the NAIA has an LOI, which is a letter of intent. Those are two different documents. One is for the NCAA, one is for the N N NAIA. The documents in terms of being signed, you would always have the information in terms of your athletic aid would have come to you in those with those documents that does not mean it doesn't always include your academic scholarship that may be documented somewhere else because these are ncaa forms so it's athletic related scholarship and uh those in, that information would be included when they signed and correct uh, the college coaches cannot attend if they're an ncaa school they cannot attend your signing um i think it's to minimize the amount of uh the travel that college coaches do we do a ton of travel already as it is so um, you know, and then who do you choose? Do you go to one recruits versus the other? How do you go to those signing dates, especially if they're all signing on, on the same day? So it's really important to know and understand that those documents are legally binding and that they are documents that you are committing to the college, not to the coach. It is something of a document that's really important for families to know and understand is still contingent upon being eligible again, with the NCAA, like we talked about the core courses, as well as being accepted to the university. Those documents can be null and void if a student athlete doesn't complete the requirements for graduation, as well as to be accepted to the college, and then also for NCAA eligibility. Those documents become null and void. Now, speak, speaking of when we sign an NLI for the, the commitment to the university, not the coach, when, you, when you're recruiting or helping your, help your students um, find the best fit for them because remember it's always the best fit for them not the best fit for their talent because Absolutely. some kids might, might not I'm, I might think I'm a great basketball player but I might not fit at Kentucky I might fit somewhere like at Savannah State or somewhere mm -hmm. what best practices can we have parents and coaches and counselors give to our students as far as the recruiting process well, I think it's essential, you tapped right into it, is the idea of finding the right fit. It is about finding an academic fit, a social fit, a financial fit, and an athletic fit. The fact is, so often student athletes get so mesmerized by this college coach wants me, they're interested in me, and I always refer to it as the broken leg test. If you were to tear your ACL or break your leg or have major shoulder surgery, whatever it is for your sport, that's really, really detrimental. 
well, you still want to be at that college, even if you cannot play and continue with your sport. And I think, you know, the broken leg test is really an essential part of this process that we need to make sure that our academics in terms of what type of majors they have offerings. But some people say, well, I don't even know what I'm a major in. I think this sounds good, but I'm not sure. And that's okay. A lot of kids will change their majors. We all know that. But the fact is, we also want to find the academic setting that's going to be good for them. Some student athletes are not going to excel at a very large university because they are not going to excel in a large classroom. They need to be in a smaller size classroom. Some are going to be the opposite. Some want a medium size. But also, what location are you in? You know, some kids going to the heart of um, a, a major metropolis is going to be awesome for some. They need kind of a suburban life or they need more of a college town life. And I think it's important for us to really evaluate all the factors. You know, so I, I live in Florida. I can tell you anytime I talk to Florida kids, I'm like, what kind of white stuff do you like? Do you like snow? Because otherwise we probably should cut out some of those, those schools up north. But, you know, if, if you just like the white stuff, that's sand. Okay, well, we need to talk about where those are. But the fact is, you know, I think it's important to really figure out how far you want to be from home. You know, what's going to be a good opportunity for you academically, as well as figuring out the financial picture in terms of what opportunities you're going to have. Again, most kids are on full ride for athletics. So what opportunities do you have in order to get academic scholarships or um, your financial aid, or maybe there's some in-state grants that happen. And I think it's important that we've got to look at that bigger picture and those who are involved in their life, whether a school counselor or a coach or parents or administrators, I think it's important to help keep that perspective with them and keep asking them those questions along the way. If you were to tear your ACL, break your leg, have shoulder surgery, would you still want to be at this college? Because I see so many kids chase just the sports and then the coach leaves. And then a new coach comes in and that coach had a different system. And now all of a sudden they're looking to transfer because the sport didn't work out. And so we want to make sure that we're all on the same page in finding that broken leg test fit, an academic fit, a social fit, a financial fit, and then an athletic fit. And that's a really key formula to being able to find the right fit overall and being successful at that college. You're right about that because if I'd have had some of those tools to use some of that stuff about <clears throat> years ago, I would have probably been at a totally different school, but that's neither here nor there anyway. But um, let's just discuss your social media platforms. I believe you're on Facebook, you say Facebook and Instagram. Um, can you discuss that with us just a little bit? Absolutely. I run a parents' Facebook group for 87,000 parents and school counselors and coaches. It's not for for kids. It's just for, um, you know, us older folks, <laughs> the younger teens, they're on Instagram. They can follow me on Instagram. But the, uh, uh, I think the best place for you to learn more information about the college recruiting process is to join that group. It's called Educating Parents of High School Student Athletes on the College Recruiting Process. And in there, we have a team of experts, myself, and also people that are test prep experts, admissions, as well as a mental game coach, as well as people who help you find the other community scholarships. You know, how do you find the local Kiwana scholarship and such? We have a team of experts that are in there and really try to provide as much information we can for free, as well as you can visit my blogs at rlopezcoaching.com. I have over 40 blogs on the college recruiting process to really help families understand 
what are those steps? And then obviously you can definitely pick up a copy of my book called Looking for a Full Ride. You can find that lookingforafullride.com. And that would be a, a great uh, resource for you to be able to um, really take the next steps. And then for free, just for your listeners, Fabian, I want to offer out something to each of them. We have a free special report called Strategies to Emailing a college coach. And they can download that for free, rlopezcoaching.com. And you can actually just go into our store and you will find it's actually up there for free right now. So free special report, strategies to email a college coach, and you can get information on that. And then you will find tons of other resources like the NCAA documents, um, you know, the college bound guide, what are the basic rules for division one versus division two and division three, what are the differences in rules of NAI? We also have blogs and information about, you know, junior colleges, what you should look at in a junior college. What is it like to be a walk-on? You know, does it make sense to do an unofficial visit? Well, why isn't the coach offering me an official visit to fly me in? All kinds of opportunities and lots of information there to help support the process. Again, we're here to educate and equip them with information so we can empower them to really start reaching out to those college coaches get their videos put together and all the tips they need to know and understand about that process as well as ways for them to utilize social media to be able to help them get noticed by college coaches once again the name of the book is looking for a full ride r lopez coaching.com uh it's a great book it's bestseller so it's, it's very helpful for any for any athlete that's trying to make sure they find the right fit for school, where they want to go to, or what their future endeavors are. And Renee, I want to thank you for taking the time about your schedule to, to just chat, chat it up with me. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me as a guest today. I appreciate it. It's no problem. We'll be right back with more Council's Connection right after this. This is the part of the show where we talk about my housekeeper items. Of course, you can follow me on the Twitter at Faye the PSC. You can follow me on Facebook, the Council Connection with Baby and Vix. You can also follow my podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Google Podcasts, and of course, Apple Podcasts. Um, upcoming episodes, uh, we're working on Steve and Caroline, Caroline Perry to come on the show we're going to talk about moon night maybe she hope some different things and tying in the school council this will be our third iteration of counseling and comics i just made it up so hopefully we'll be able to um link up again this year um on this coming monday if you listen to the podcast this podcast drops on on saturday the 24th on the 26th we are myself steve sharp John Wosu and Brian Coleman will be on the key to success pod, success podcast with Terrell Key uh, we're gonna chop it up and just um, bring the funk on school counseling and other stuff. So we'll see how that works out for everybody. So it, it might so it might start off talk about school counseling, might turn into talk about Mortal Kombat. Who knows? Um, you can also look forward to John Burnett once our schedules link up. John will be on our podcast. Um, he does a, a YouTube page on school counseling, great tips. He was recently on the Today Show, Big Fancy, and I can't wait to talk about that experience with him. Also, we are going to um, have some feedback from the GSEA conference, which is in two months. I know that's a little bit further down the line, but I can't wait to go to GSEA this year in Savannah. Um, also, hopefully we'll be able to get 
Jeff Miller and Aaron Bundrich on a podcast to talk about how their school went during the pandemic. Um, they were honored at G at um, ASCA this past summer in Texas, and they will be honored at GSCA this year uh, for going ramp. So hopefully, I'll be able to get those guys on, on guys guys and gal on there for me. Those two good friends of mine um, out of Henry County. Um, we'll be right back with my final thoughts. Faye's final thoughts. Didn't know what my final thoughts were going to be today, but after doing my interview with um, Renee Lopez, I want to talk to kids about scholarships and college opportunities. Yeah, we all want to go to that big school in the sky. We want to go to um, Alabama or Georgia, UGA, Florida, Florida State, Miami, Southern Cal, place like that, especially we're we're playing sports we have dreams of playing big time football going to the league but remember only two percent maybe a little bit less than that are actually drafted into their leagues there's only 450 basketball players in the nba of course you can go overseas but if you want to make it to the premier leagues you look at nba got 450 players NFL you have 32 teams times the 53 man roster so that's about what 1700 players just on the 53 just just the 53 man rosters times 32 we haven't got to the practice squads baseball there are 30 teams and 25 players on a um, major league roster so that's 750 players in baseball. So there's nothing wrong with using sports to get you a scholarship to, to pay for your education for to, to get your dream job. Just remember that it's we're not it's gonna be difficult. You have to be one of one. So when you go to college and you got your full scholarship, make sure you have a backup plan. After you graduate college, it's nothing. If I was about four more inches taller, I probably would have been. I had a chance to probably play college ball. If I was four, four to four to six more inches taller, I would have had opportunity to get a scholarship. I just wasn't tall enough. But we need to make sure that sports is not the only avenue that we have for success. Now, I granted, if you're a one of one, you're a unicorn. You're six foot three. 220 pounds and you are wide receiver or quarterback or or if you're somebody that is six foot seven 320 pounds that's that's unguardable on the line or you you're somebody that do not let defensive linemen sack your quarterback or or you're a six three point guard that's i can't miss prospect by all means go for it but all i'm saying is to all those athletes out there that's, that might be six foot has some injuries sports is their life nothing wrong with that just make sure that you prepare yourself for life after sports you'll be more marketable because you're, you're you show leadership teamwork conflict resolution so all the soft skills or power skills that you need for corporate corporations like fortune 500 companies even if you go back go working in like somewhere like amazon or Google, 
on your resume showing that you were a ath- college athlete will give you the give you a leg up on a competition just as if you're retired from the military and you have pre- preference as far as hiring make sure that you your college fit fits your needs as far as your career goals your career dreams there's nothing wrong with going to alabama for football if you know you're going to get drafted you've been and you get drafted you're doing what you got to do but as far as your career after those four years in college make sure that you have a plan a backup plan sometimes when you go to college your backup plan will need to be your primary plan sometimes kids go to college just you know I just want to use this to get my degree in architecture or get my degree in uh, marine biology or whatnot and they happen to improve their skills athletic skills to get drafted and they put down a back burn when we look at different athletes that have went on to to, to, their, to the um, to the NFL, there are very few that have left the field. Like uh, Pat Tillman, after 9/11, he went to serve in the army, and uh, of course, we know the story. He, he passed away while on duty from friendly fire. Now you have Myron Roll, who was um. Played at Florida State, if I remember correctly. Played at Florida State in 2006. Went to the Tennessee Titans and the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's a role scholar. He's the only former football player ever to receive the role scholar. So you got to be pretty smart to do something like that. So he knew his backup plan. It was in. It was a. He was a neuro, neurosurgeon. Right now. So he played football for about six, seven years. Turned into a career in neuro, as a neurosurgeon, which means he can help solve the mystery of CTE. This is just one example of a backup plan that probably might work out better than somebody's primary plan. He was a pretty decent football player when he played with the Titans and the Steelers. So remember, if you've got a backup plan, don't shove it up to the side. It might be your best way to be the best you. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. I want to thank Renee Lopez for stopping by and dropping some knowledge about the recruitment process. And you know what? I'm out.